We're going to be in Acts chapter 27, like Pastor Jordan said. Um, We're going to be looking at a story in Scripture today that many of you might actually be familiar with, but it's about a storm, uh, about a shipwreck. And probably one of the most famous shipwrecks in history that most of us know is the Titanic. Most of us are familiar with this story from 1912, uh, the ship that God couldn't sink. Probably not the greatest name to name your ship, a little prideful. Uh, We all know what ended up happening. Um, It sunk, right? And of course, we all know how it went. Uh, If you're not familiar with it, it was a very fateful voyage from England to New York, where in the midst of the Atlantic Ocean, they hit an iceberg. Um, and it sunk extremely fast. But what you might not know about the Titanic, well, at least I didn't know, is what I'm going to share with you today. Um, This was actually only one of three ships. Um, They're almost identical ships, uh, different sizes, different colors, of course, but um, they were all built by the White Star Shipping Company. It's a shipping line. And they all were about the same size. And we all talk about the Titanic so much, but all three of these were just enormous ships. And believe it or not, um, the Titanic actually wasn't the biggest of the three of these ships. Um, so there's the, uh, the Britannic and the Olympic. That's what the other two ships are called. But what's even more interesting than that is the fact that within the same decade of the Titanic going down, all three of these ships suffered a catastrophe at sea, all three of them. Uh, The Olympic had a 40-foot long gash ripped into the side of her as she collided with another boat, but she ended up making it to the shore, crippled, but did walk away from the ordeal. The Britannic was not so lucky. It actually hit a floating mine in the First World War, and she sank faster than the Titanic did. So all three of these ships went down. Even more interesting than that is there was one person who was on board all three of these ships, which a lot of people might know this, but I I didn't, right? And her name is Violet Jessup, and she was first a passenger on the Olympic in its near sinking. Then, I'm not sure that I would have done this, but she decided after that near sinking that she wanted to get a job as a stewardess on the Titanic. Um, She was there that night when 1,500 people drowned in the middle of the ocean, but she made it to safety. And in her story, she actually has a book that you can read, Uh, she was actually holding another person's child and saved that baby's life in that lifeboat. So then she decided, well, I think it's time for a career change. Uh, No kidding, right? After two almost, well, they sunk, but she stayed alive. So she became a nurse, thinking, you know, it's going to be much safer. I'll be in a hospital. But then she was repurposed to serve as a nurse on a floating hospital ship, which is the Britannic. It was supposed to be a passenger in a cargo ship, but the British Navy needed to use it for Her Majesty's service. And so it was turned into a floating hospital in the middle of the ocean. And she was working on it when this floating mine exploded, and of course, then the ship sinks faster than the Titanic. She managed to get onto a lifeboat, and get this, if she's not already as lucky as luck can be, 
she managed to get onto a lifeboat. She fell off of the lifeboat, but it was a good thing she fell off of the lifeboat because that lifeboat with the 30 passengers ended up getting sucked into the propellers of the ship and those people died. Like, it's just crazy, right, this story, right? And so she only managed to hit her head on something on the way down. So here's what I take away from that story. As I was Googling and seeing it on the History Channel, I thought, man, if I was alive in the 1920s or whatever, if I ever saw that woman go near a boat that I was about to go on, I probably wouldn't go on it, or I'd like wrap myself around her, whichever way you want to kind of go. But um, anyways, I talk about it because there's a lot of epic stories about ships and about shipwrecks and about sinking. Um, but there is also in scripture. And now like Violet, Paul, that we're going to talk about today, had some pretty lousy luck when it came to, bo to boats. Believe it or not, they both survived three shipwrecks. So we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 11:25, and Paul is talking about just some of the struggles that he had faced. And it says, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. So three times he says I was shipwrecked. So three times Paul goes onto a boat, and the boat broke, and it sunk. And then he says, one time, a night and a day, I spent adrift at sea. That's like 36 hours floating in the ocean. That's terrifying. Well, to me, that's terrifying. Hanging on to some wreckage or piece of debris for like 36 hours until you're rescued. So Paul himself, he knew what it was like to go down and to suffer a loss while on the open ocean. And so today, as we come to Acts chapter 27, we will come to what is the beginning of the final journey on the ocean of his entire life. So as the book of Acts closes out, so does his life. So a little backstory before we jump in, because I'm not sure who's all been here for our whole series of Acts. So I'm just going to let you know what's kind of happening before here. So Paul had been arrested in Jerusalem and at the, tail end, at the tail end of his third missionary journey. And we've talked through that, but just so we're all on the same page. And he was sent to Caesarea because there was a plot to assassinate him in jail. And the centurion dis discovered this and sent him safely to where the governor lived. And Paul, so get this, he spent two years in prison in Caesarea waiting for a trial. So two years to even be seen for a trial. No one wanted to make a decision about Paul. It was political. It was controversial, just kind of like Jesus, right? He, uh, these Jewish leaders were putting pressure on the governor to give them to give in to these false charges that he was being accused of, things that he hadn't done, like Paul hadn't done anything wrong. And so Paul, for two years, was just kind of in this legal limbo, right, just hoping for justice. And when it seems like he was not going to be given a fair trial, finally, Paul decides to throw down his trump card. And Jordan talked about this in another message, which was his Roman citizenship. That's his trump card, okay? And you know, Paul was Jewish, but he was also a citizen by birth. And as such, he had the right to have his case seen. If he didn't feel like he was being given a fair shot, right, it could be seen at the highest courts in the land before the emperor himself. 
And so Paul had said, I appeal to Caesar. That's what he's saying now as he's in jail. And at this point, they would have no option but to send him on his way to a journey to Italy, to Rome, where he would then have his case seen there. So that's kind of what's happened before we're about to get into Acts. So after two years, he's now on his way to Rome. We're on the ship, okay? Now, one thing I really want to point out that you need to know is how this plays into the providence of God and him fulfilling these dreams that God had previously tucked away in Paul's heart. You see, way back when Paul was in Ephesus, which again, if you've journeyed through this series with us, you might remember, he kept telling people that I need to go to Jerusalem. And they're like, Paul, it's too dangerous. You can't go to Jerusalem. Um, And of course, it's Paul, right? So he's like, I'll risk the ocean. I don't care about my life. I'll do anything for Jesus, right? I don't care if it takes risks. If God says I'm going to go, I'm going to go. And he just put this dream into his heart. And then after he went to Jerusalem, he said, well, I'm going to go to Rome too, right? Why? Because God had told him he was going to do this. So then Paul goes to Jerusalem, and just like everybody predicted, it goes extremely bad, right? He almost gets torn to pieces by an angry mob. So while in prison, Paul said that one night God had appeared to him in a dream and said, don't be afraid, Paul. You're going to go to Rome. You're going to go to Italy. You're going to preach the gospel in Rome, just like you did in Jerusalem. And so from that moment on, he held on to that. He held on to this promise, this purpose that God had for him. And it seemed pretty unlikely while he was in prison waiting a potential execution that he would indeed actually get to go to Rome. But when he said, I appeal to Caesar... Well, what happened? Well, you're going to Rome. And what happened is they put him on this ship that we're about to talk about. So now he's going there where God told him to go. But this is the coolest part. Now it's on Caesar's dime. The emperor is going to fit the bill for this journey. Isn't it awesome when things like that kind of happen? God's just awesome. So he accomplishes what he wants to accomplish, right? So if you have something tucked away in your heart that God's told you you're going to do, hold on to that. Hold on to that because it's going to happen. Um, So Paul has been put now under the care of a Roman centurion by the name of Julius. So he is on the ship. And he's been charged with getting Paul there safely from Caesarea by sea all the way to Rome. But Paul was not alone. There was going to be a number of other sailors, prisoners, uh, the Bible says, who were going to go with him on this journey. So picture like who's seen Con Air (laughs) with Nicolas Cage, the airplane in the air, right? With all the prisoners are on there. There's a ship full of prisoners with Paul. But see, the word in Greek that describes the other prisoners is different sort of word than Paul. And here's why. Because Paul, though he's a prisoner technically had not yet been condemned. So his innocence or his guilt had yet to be proven. It hadn't been established yet. So Paul was given different luxuries than the other prisoners. 
We know that Paul was able to travel with an entourage, even on this prison ship. He was able to bring with him Aristarchus, his personal assistant, and of course Luke, who's currently writing these words that we're reading. He's with him. So although he's a medical doctor by trade, he is the one who is telling this story. So he has Luke and Aristarchus, and they're on this boat with all these condemned prisoners. This is what's happening. Then Paul senses danger, this storm. He knows that there's danger. But the centurion decides to listen to the pilot, the owner of the ship, instead of Paul. So this is where we are when the storm starts, okay? That's what's happening in the first 19 verses, and we're going to pick up at verse 20 today. So if you want to head there now, it's going to be on the screen or at home, whatever device you want to use, it will be on the screen though. Acts 27, and we're going to be in ver- starting at verse 20. So metaphors, we use metaphors all the time, okay? In fact, we use them so much and so frequently that I bet you, you don't even know that you're using them. We say things like, that exam was a breeze, right? We talk about things like life being a roller coaster. We say that, oh, their kids are like little angels, or we say things like, that relationship is just a prison, Or if you're new to Christianity, we like our metaphors. There is many of them. I'm going to tell you that right now. So if you hear me talking about mountains, I am not talking about landmass. If we're talking about mountains, it has nothing to do with landmass, okay? It can basically mean anything in a church. Whatever is in your way, God is going to move it, right? That's the mountain, right? And the Bible uses them all the time. There's nothing wrong with metaphors. It it helps us understand or, you know, have a picture in our heads. But even in scripture, God is often referred to as a strong tower or a good shepherd or the bread of life. Um, We talk about storms, which we're going to talk about today. And storms, I mean, it's really just a metaphor for whatever those hard things that you're going through in your life are in front of you. And that looks different for everybody. But this is one thing that I know about storms and why I feel that it's so important to talk about this today is because you're either in one right now, walking through it, barely surviving through it, or you're about to go through one, or maybe you've just come through one. And so although in Acts chapter 27, this is a physical, real storm, but it doesn't have to be physical for it to be practical for our lives. So what are, we, what are we to do when we find ourselves in the midst of these storms? And so today I'm going to teach, or sorry, preach, very different than I usually do. Because today as I look at Acts 27, I want to just suggest to you that we look at it today as a living parable. In other words, if the parables that Jesus told, these earthly stories with heavenly meanings... What if we take Acts 27, this parable of flesh and blood? So if parables were made up stories, right? Earthly stories, heavenly meanings. Let's look at Acts 27, this earthly story, an event that actually happened in history, and find spiritual truth and hope and warning and redemption just weaved throughout all of it. And that's how we're going to look at this today. So let's look at the scripture now and talk our way through this. So, verse 20. 
The terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars until at last all hope was gone. All hope was gone. That's a scary, scary place to be. Despair is a frightening, frightening place to be, is it not? I think we've all maybe been at that spot, felt that at some time. But see, the thing about when you feel like you've lost all hope is that it can be those times that it places us in a position to finally start listening to the voices that we just keep choosing to ignore and choosing not to listen to along the whole way. See, the beauty of Acts 27 storm is in this time where all hope is abandoned, all hope is abandoned, grace invades the story. Don't you want grace to invade the story? Don't you want grace to invade your story? Some of us need desperately to be invaded by grace because we're living in this resignation. We're just settling, right, for just so, so long. And the truth is that oftentimes we need to experience desperate times before we're willing to be invaded by grace. Storms often get us to ask those questions that calm, steady times don't. God, like, why are you doing this to me? Like, what did I do wrong? Did you forget about me? Didn't you promise you were going to do this? What is wrong? Where are you? Storms can also cause us to recognize that Jesus is willing to enter that storm. Enter it with you. He wants to journey with you to the other side. And that he's our peace in the midst of of storms. He can actually invade our storms and actually takes our place in the ultimate of storms. See, what I want you to take away from storms is that there's grace there. Grace is in the storm. Verse 21, no one had eaten for a long time. Finally, Paul called the crew and said, men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Creed. So basically, I told you so, right? You would have avoided all this damage and loss, but take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. For last night, an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me. And he said, don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage, for I believe God. I will be just as he said, but we will be shipwrecked on an island. And midnight on the 14th night of the storm, as we were being driven across the Sea of Adria, the, the sailors' sense land was near. They dropped a weight line and found that the water was 120 feet deep. But later they measured it again and it was only 90 feet. So they're sinking. At this rate, they were afraid that we would soon be driven against the rocks along the shore, so they threw out four anchors from the back of the ship, and they prayed for daylight. I have an anchor with me today. Now, I know there's many different types, many different weights, and many different sizes, but 
I want this to be something that sticks in your head by the end of today. Okay? They dropped four anchors and they prayed for daylight. And I read somewhere online that you can actually never have too big or too many anchors, right? Especially in the middle of a storm. The anchors help you stay stable in the middle of the storm. And they dropped four anchors. So how are we going to make it through life storms? I need to give you some takeaways, some applications. How do we do this, right? Well, because of this verse, I'm going to give you four of them. Four anchors, four applications that are going to help you through either your current storm, your soon-to-be storm, whatever that looks like. So the very first one, he dropped an anchor. Anchor yourself in God's presence. Anchor yourself in God's presence. Well, what does that mean? That means that I'm putting my faith not in the presence of the captain of that ship, not in the people who are surrounding you, the prisoners or the sailors on that ship, not in the presence of your abilities, your gifts, your talents, your personality, your connections. I'm putting my anchor in who God says he is for me. Which means you need to be digging into God's word. You need to be circling and highlighting and exclamation marks all of those different scriptures. The ones that say, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth as I was with Moses, so will I be with for you. Or Joshua, I will never leave you nor forsake you no matter what you go through. When your storm is happening, he will be beside you. What about when you go through a fire? Well, he'll be like the guy from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'm not walking out on you when you're going through a divorce or a problem or a struggle or an addiction or some difficulty. I am not walking out on you. You've got to know that God is with you. And the presence of God can sustain you in the middle of any storm. Jesus never promised us a storm-free life. He promised to be the shelter in the middle of our storm. So long ago, there was a peep, this is a true story, a community who were looking for a picture of peace, the perfect picture drawn of peace. They announced this contest, right? And the challenge, the challenge was stirring all these amazing artists from all over, and paintings were coming in everywhere. And they were arriving from far and wide, not just from the local community. And so finally, the big day comes for the reveal of these top pieces. And the judges uncovered one peaceful scene after the other. Well, the viewers clapped and cheered and looked at every picture. There were ones with these beautiful, mirror-smooth lakes that you could see the reflection of the sky and the trees in. There was grassy shores and with flocks of sheep being all undisturbed. There were mountaintops with rainbows. I mean, like, beautiful, beautiful pieces. But then the judge uncovered the last painting. And the crowd kind of gasped. Could this be peace? This is the picture. Could this... So you have this out-of-control waterfall, rushing water. 
you almost can feel that it would be spraying cold water on you. And you can see black clouds with a storm and lightning that's coming out of the sky in all its fury. But see, in the lower center of this painting, there's a little bird that had found refuge in the cleft of the rock. You see him there? Safe and secure in the midst of all the turmoil of its surroundings. It rested content and undisturbed. And so as they're all gazing at this picture one by one, all the judges and the viewers agreed that this was the perfect picture of peace, for it showed the deepest peace of all. The artist had said, this is what peace looks like to me. Peace is not the absence of the storm. Peace is having a shelter in the middle of the storm. And you know, I can say this personally, that through every storm, whether it's an emotional storm, a physical storm, a financial storm, the stresses of just being able to pay the bills, to raise your kids, okay? All of those things, it comes on everyone. And I mean, storms don't discriminate. They do not. The richest of the rich and the poorest of the poor, they do not discriminate. But I know this, the anchor in the middle of the storm that really kept me in a stable place is just reminding me that God is with me, my anchor. There are times when things aren't going well, and I've just, and I am not a singer, we all know this, but I have come into this sanctuary in the dark with the doors shut and just had to continually say that you're with me, you're with me, you're with me. And then I would find the perfect song to be able to say that, to feel his presence in the midst of it. You need to feel his presence. It's important. He's the father to the fatherless, the defender of the orphans, the husband to the widow. The scripture in Psalms, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You are with me, your rod, your staff, they comfort me. We need to get our anchor back in the presence of God. And if you're here today or online and maybe you've got just super discouraged by life's storms. Maybe you're in a place right now that honestly you just kind of want to throw in the towel. I think God sent me to preach this message to you. Because oftentimes when I prepare a message, you guys know how I preach, this isn't it. I usually tell you something personal that I'm walking through and I teach the scriptures. But see, then every now and then as I'm praying to prepare a message, right, God told me this specific time that you may not be walking through this, but somebody else needs this right now. So I don't know if it's this weekend. You know, I don't know. But this weekend, I can tell you for sure this message, why I went in this direction today, is because when I was praying and I said, God, I'm not really walking through a storm right now. I'm just really not. And he was very clear that someone or others needed to hear this. 
So if that's you, online, sanctuary, next service, the service after that, or maybe it's months down the road and you're watching this way later on YouTube. God has told me very clearly to tell you that your life is valuable. That's all he kept telling me. Your life is valuable. Don't throw in the towel. Don't quit. And if you're going to say, oh, pastor, pastor, the only option I have is to quit at this point. No, I'm going to tell you that you have the option to surrender to God. To surrender it to him now. Let God heal you. Let God heal your depression. Let God free you from whatever that torment is. Free you from that addiction. Let him unravel whatever has got you so bound up. Let him do that. Anchor yourself in God's presence. Anchor yourself in God's presence. Number two. We are going to anchor ourselves in God's people. God's people. They dropped four anchors that night to make it through the night. They prayed for daylight. God's people. I've got all P's for you to keep it simple today. God's presence and now God's people. Paul is there with his friends. Luke and Aristarchus, they got on that boat with Paul before the storm even showed up. I'm so thankful for friends that will be in my boat in the middle of a storm. I wouldn't be here today um, if some of my friends, some who sit in this sanctuary, who are tuning in online, weren't part of my life. We need to have people. You need to sometimes maybe be the person that you're going to say in the middle of the storm, we're not going to abandon you. Doesn't matter what they did, whether you agree with it or you don't agree with it. You're not going to abandon them. We're going to pray for you. We're going to stand beside you. You need people in your life. You need relationships. I know you've heard me say that before. You need to start looking around and see who's with you. Who's going to pray beside you? Who's going to stand by you? God's placed people in your life. You are not meant to walk this Christian journey on your own. You are not. You are not alone. The devil wants you to think that you're the only guy sitting in that boat, struggling. The only one who's got questions and doesn't know what to do. That's not true. You're not the only person that's facing that addiction. You're not the only person that's got a secret. Who's got a secret? That if you let that secret out, oh my goodness, they're not going to let me come to church. Everything's going to fall apart. I don't want anyone in this church to suffer from secrets anymore. It's ridiculous. So if you need somebody, you need to talk to somebody. You need to open up to somebody. Come to prayer. See a counselor. Talk to a pastor. This is a safe place. We want this to be a safe place. There are friendships here that are actually waiting for you. Think about that. Could be someone in this room that's just waiting for your friendship. And I'm so grateful for like our neighborhood groups 
and our leaders, our, our ministry groups, our home groups, our alpha groups that happen all different days on all different times because you know what? I have people tell me almost weekly how much this means to them. I've had people tell me that because of the messages and going to a, a group and being invested in the church, it saved their marriage. I have people that meet on our call that don't even know what they would do without their group, without their people. It doesn't have to be in a group format, but you know what I'm saying, without these relationships, these prayer warriors, these people to talk to openly and honestly. And let me tell you, if you think that you need to be perfect to join a group, because that's what I thought when I first started coming to the church, I have too much baggage. No one's going to want to know me. I'm going to have to keep all these secrets. Like, no, 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 no. I'm telling you, you do not. There's a good chance that God may even use that baggage that you have to lead your own group, to walk through with other people the things that they're going through like you are. So you can show them that there's hope at the end, that there's light at the end of the tunnel. There's hope in the future, that this storm's not going to last forever. So get anchored in some godly relationships and godly people. Number three, drop the anchor. We're going to get anchored in God's purposes for your life. God's purposes. So Paul knew that God had a purpose for his life. And I'm not talking about a dream or a hope. I'm talking about something that God's put on your heart, something that he will fulfill. When you know you have a destiny, you don't allow the storms of life to make you feel discouraged as if that's going to be the end, as if it's the end of the rope. When you know your purpose, you can make it through life storms. I remember a couple years ago, I was going through a storm and I felt extremely discouraged, extremely hurt um, to do with my pastoral role, to do with ministry in, in general. Um, and felt like packing in the towel. And I remember God so clearly saying to me, Yasmin, who started this work in you? Of course, the answer is him. He said to me very clearly that I will be the one that will be faithful to complete it. In your family, in your ministry, he will be faithful to complete what he's already shown me. If it hasn't happened yet, I know it's not over. If the completion hasn't happened yet, it's not over. It's not how it ends for me. So I want you to reach deep into your soul for two seconds or write this down and think about this later. Are there things that you know that you're called to do? that you have seen in your mind and in your heart from God. You've seen visions of these things that you will complete one day, that you haven't done yet. Things that you haven't done yet, but you know for sure that it's going to happen. Those are your purposes, those. And I wanna challenge every one of you in that, this room to try and get this vision in, a, in your heart and in your mind, whatever that is, if you can do that now or you need to spend time figuring out what that is with God so that when you walk through those storms of life, you won't be like, oh my goodness, it's over. No, it's not over because I saw that. 
And that is still going to happen. You're going to make it. You're going to make it through that storm. So I was talking to a close friend recently, and I was telling her that I was talking about storms and trials, and she's been through a lot of them. Um, and they're all unfair. Um, but she said to me, and we love our metaphors, if she hadn't gone through a storm and all these storms in her life, she wouldn't be able to cherish all the mountaintops. Now, her mountaintops might look different than our mountaintops, but it's given her this perspective. She said that in the storms that helped her appreciate those sunny days, right? And this was my favorite thing that she said. When I hit rock bottom, I found out God is the rock at my bottom. It was in the storms that I found there's an anchor that God has a purpose for my future. See, sometimes God may use trouble as your transportation. God may use trouble. God may use the storms as this pathway towards your destiny. He may have a plan that only a storm can actually bring you through. So Paul tells this guy, he says to them how it's going to end. He spoke these last, these words in 23, to 20, or 23, 24, and 25. It says, he said, listen, the ship's going to go down, but we're not going to go down. So he says, keep up and take courage. You will all be saved because I know I have a purpose to stand before Caesar. Paul had faith in God that it will happen just as God had told him. Our last anchor. Are you ready for it? You anchor yourself in the promises of God. God's presence, God's people, God's purposes, God's promises. I have faith that if God said it, it's going to happen. If it hasn't happened yet, he's not done with me yet. I have this song that I just love. It's called, I'll Do It Again. And it talks about, I've seen you move, move the mountains, and I believe you can do it again. But it gets to the chorus, and it says, Promise, your promises still stand, great is your faithfulness. Well, and every time I sing that part, I'm reminded that I serve a God who is faithful to his promises. There are things that I see for myself. There are things that I actually see for this church that God has shown me that I know are actually just around the corner. Like I can confidently say that they're around the corner. Um, and it's the future of our church. So I know if we're about to walk through storms, whether it's as a church or as individuals, that everything's going to be okay. Because I just know God's not finished with us yet. I know it. I just absolutely know he's not finished with us yet. So whatever that storm looks like, as a church as a whole or as an indiv individual, there might be seasons that are slow, like now. Um, COVID craziness, you know, all different things splitting us up or following restrictions or whatever that looks like. Um, there may be times that are difficult. There may be storms that we face, but it's, we've got to get anchored in these promises of God, these purposes, these things that we have seen from him. Do you know that there's actually a promise of God for every problem that you face? Every single one. There's a promise that God has for every single thing that you will go through. 
If you're single right now, God has a promise for you. If you're married, you don't have children yet, God has a promise for you. Maybe your spouse walked away from God, walked away from you, God has a promise for you. Maybe your health is declining, God has a promise for you. Your finances aren't the best, he's got a promise for you. You need to stop anchoring yourself in your feelings and start anchoring yourself in God's promises. Because God's promises are way more stable than our feelings, right? Let's be honest. Our feelings can drive us crazy. They can make us do stupid, ridiculous, life-changing things. We cannot base things on how you feel. You cannot. You don't anchor yourself in feelings. You anchor yourself in God's promises. So we're going to end today with worship. Worship can come up as I close. And I really want you to think of these things. I really want us to worship together, respond to this message, and get anchored in God's presence and God's people. Like we're with God's people right now, God's purposes, God's promises. Um, David wrote in Psalms that he would have lost heart had he not believed in the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He would have given up if he didn't believe that God was going to show up right? He would have lost hope. And here's the great thing, because I don't want to end with the storm. Because at the end of Acts 27, the story doesn't end with the storm winning. It says that finally daylight came, and when daylight came on all of them, they found a way out of the boat, through the water and onto the islands of Malta. Every single sailor, every single prisoner was saved. Every single sailor and prisoner made it through that storm. So I want you to imagine a storm. There's probably worse looking ones in the picture that I could find. But imagine this storm and imagine that this is going to happen to your life. Or maybe some of you are here right now. Like this is your life right now. Like your marriage is right here. Your kids are right here. Your health is right here. If you're honest, maybe your emotions your anxieties are all right here. The enemy's trying to take you out in this storm. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't abandon your faith. Don't you dare take your life. Don't you dare give up. Don't throw in the towel. Don't say it's quits. Do not, whatever it looks like right now for you, do not. You are worth so much more. You are valuable. God gave his one and only son for you. You have a purpose. Don't throw in the towel. Don't call it quits. I need you. This church needs you. Your family needs you. God needs you. Your community needs you. Your workplace needs you. God has a purpose for you. You just might need to figure it out. If you're still breathing, it's because God's not done yet. Don't just leave here today and think, oh, 
That was a good reminder. I want you to wake up tomorrow and remind yourself again. The second you wake up, you have a purpose that you matter, regardless of what's all happening. Remember the bird. Be the bird on the cliff. You need to start anchoring yourself in all of these things that I talked about. God's presence, God's people, God's purposes, God's promises. And the stormy sea, it's about to change. In the next picture, you will see the daylight is coming. Daylight has come. The clouds clear. The rainbow, which is part of his promises, is there. There's light at the end of the tunnel. You're going to make it. You are going to make it. Tell the person next to you that you're going to make it. Online, write it in the comments or tell the person that you're sitting to. You are going to make it. You are going to make it. Let's stand. Father God, I thank you so much that uh, we are able to meet together and oh, and learn about you and talk about you out loud, Father. I just thank you for that privilege. And I thank you for your promise and your purposes for each of us. And although they're not the same and they're unique, I thank you for that. Father, whoever is walking through a storm right now, whether it's, like I've said, emotional storm, physical storm, marriage storm, maybe grief, Father, a life storm, a financial storm. Whatever it is, Father, I lift that up to you today. Remind them, Father, of your promises and your purposes for them. Or maybe, God, they don't even know what their purposes are yet. Maybe reveal those to them, Father. Reveal those purposes so they can tuck them away in their hearts. Provide them with what they need, Father, for whatever that storm is to get them to the other side. Whether it's shelter or whether it's people or whether it's your peace, Father. Just like that bird that sat on that cliff, Father. Just that they can find shelter in you. And Father, I ask that you help us all in all situations, the good, the bad, the everything in between, to anchor ourselves in you to surround ourselves with good, godly people, Father, to know when to ask for help and to speak up, and for each of us to hold on and just to be confident in those purposes and promises you have for us. So I thank you for everyone here today, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.